Okay, guys, we're going to talk about the flood today. So we're going to look at Genesis 6, 9 through Genesis 9, 29. Now, again, because we're going through a section, we're not going to read this whole passage to you. But as we go through it, we're going to maybe refer to some things in your text. Now, remember, last time we looked at this, we, we saw how man, left on his own, becomes totally corrupted in his actions. He's going to be bent towards sin. Every, every thought that he has is of sin. And ultimately, that brings God's judgment. And we're going to see that. In fact, when we looked before, God regretted ever making man. That, that to me is an amazing statement. God regretted ever making man. So when we look at chapter 6, verses 9 through 21... We're going to see the coming judgment. So the first thing we're going to look at here is Noah, okay? The character of Noah. So Noah was a just man who stood out among his ancestors and walked with God. Now again, in Genesis so far, there's only been three individuals who have been mentioned in the text as having walked with God. And that is Adam, then we see Enoch, and now we see Noah. Now, I need to explain to you what we mean by walked with God, because are you saying that nobody else believed? That's not what I'm saying. There were others who believed, because the scripture you before, remember, said they called on the name of the Lord, the lineage of Seth, okay? What it means here is, is that these three individuals had a very intimate relationship with God. They had such a relationship with God that they talked with him, interacted with him. In fact, when you talk about Enoch, if you remember, it said that he walked with God for 300 years. So you're talking about Noah here has an intimate relationship with God, and he stands out from among his ancestors. Okay, so let's go on. Noah and his wife had three sons. Shem, Ham, and Japheth. So we have three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now, when you look at verses 11 through 12, you're going to see again the mentioning of the fact that the world is corrupt. God sees humanity as corrupt, and the world was filled with violence. Anything change? Look at our world today. Would you say that's pretty much where we're at today? Okay. Now here's verse 20, 13 through 21. It's going to reflect God's judgment and his grace. Okay? Judgment and his grace. So because of the corruption of the world, God states that he will destroy all living things. So he's decided because of the corruption of the world, he's going to kill everything. That's his judgment. And he has the right to do that. Did you understand what I'm saying? He has the right to do that. Now, we get to the place where God tells Noah to build an ark for Noah, his family, and two of every living creature. That's grace. So God's overall judgment is, all right, I'm done with them, they're corrupt, I'm going to wipe out every living thing. But in the midst of his judgment, he shows grace, and he says to Noah, 
Noah, I'm going to save you and your family. You build an ark. You put you and your family on that ark and two of every living thing. Okay? Two of every living thing. Male and female of every living thing. So that's grace. So... God establishes a covenant with Noah concerning his salvation from the coming judgment. So here's what I want you to notice. God is saying to Noah, look, so that you know that what I'm saying is true, I'm going to establish a covenant with you. I'm going to make an agreement with you. You're not going to die in this disaster that's coming. And I'm going to be committed, God is saying, to making sure that you and your family are okay. So he's establishing an agreement with him. Now, let me just stop for a moment. This agreement, did it have anything to do with Noah? I heard one no. Okay, anybody else? Do you think it has anything to do with Noah? No, not really. The only thing it has to do with Noah is promising that he's not going to die. Who makes the covenant? God. It's pure grace, right? That's what our salvation is, isn't it? The covenant of our salvation. Does it have anything to do with you? No, it's it's pure God because of the sacrifice of Jesus. All right, so he establishes a covenant with Noah concerning his salvation from the coming judgment. So let's take, when you look at at chapter 6, verse 22, through chapter 7, verse 24, we're going to see the flood now, okay? So we're going to see what the flood is about. Look with me, first of all, at verse 22 of chapter 6. It's going to talk about Noah's obedience. Thus Noah did, according to all that God commanded him, So he did. Now what we see here is, Noah did everything God commanded him concerning the building of the ark. Now, that kind of makes sense, doesn't it? If you have an intimate relationship with God, God says to you, Noah, I'm going to destroy everything. The world is corrupt. I'm going to wipe everything out, Noah, except I'm going to be gracious to you and your family, and I want you to build an ark. And that ark is going to be the means of your salvation. It's going to be the means of your deliverance from the coming judgment. Now, you do everything I tell you to do. Now, if you're Noah, what are you going to do? Everything he tells you to do, right? You're not going to drift away because you know that's why the judgment is coming, because people are being disobedient to God. Plus, this is the means of you being saved, right? This is the means of you escaping what's coming, so you better believe it. I'm going to ask questions. God, I just want to be sure. Did you say this? I just want to make sure. Did you know what I'm saying? He does everything God tells him to do. He did everything. He was obedient. Now, God told Noah and his family to enter into the ark with the animals. He tells Noah and his family to enter into the ark with the animals. Now, let me just stop for a moment, because for years people would look at this, and they would debunk the whole concept of the ark, because if if you were to take two of every species of animal in the world right now, is it possible 
to put them in to an ark. No. No, because how many, how many types of dogs are there? Are there lots of types of dogs? Yeah, a whole bunch of them, right? Now, let me ask you a question, though. How many dogs do you need to take on the ark? Two. Yeah, that's exactly right, because from that, the genes are going to work, then you're going to have different breeds, right? You only need to take two. And how many rhinoceroses do you need to take? There's black rhinoceroses. There's white rhinoceroses. There's Asian rhinoceroses. There's Asian elephants, African elephants. How many elephants do you need to take? Two. Do you understand what I'm saying? You don't need to take every type of species there is. Okay? So it is possible. All right? Now, one thing, though, that's different, though, is Noah was to take seven of every clean animals and two of every unclean animals. Now, that's the first time we're introduced to those phrases. Up until this point in Genesis, you are not going to see that term, clean and unclean. Okay, so what's going on now, George? Well, remember who's writing. It's Moses. Who's Moses? Moses is the lawgiver. He's the one who establishes the law with Israel. And to them, it was an issue of what was clean and what was not clean. And so that is the perspective of the reader who's reading it. What type of animals were they? And so they took seven clean animals and two unclean animals. So really, what's going on here? Why did he do that? Well, we're going to see later that after the flood, Noah took some of the clean animals and sacrificed them. Okay, so so the reason why there's more of the of the clean animals is is they're being used for what sacrifice, not just making sure that the animals continue on. Do you understand as far as populating the world? So Noah takes seven of every clean animal and two of every unclean animal. Noah takes seven of every species of bird to keep them alive. Now, isn't that interesting? Now, why would he have to do that? Why take seven sparrows? Yeah, they're not going to. Yeah, they're not going to live long, and they're very susceptible to being hurt or killed. So, seven chickens. Okay, seven species of birds, because birds are more susceptible to being killed. Okay. Now, God gave Noah seven days to enter the ark before the water came. So a week before the flood came, God gave Noah seven days to get everybody into the ark. Okay? Seven days for everybody to enter the ark. Now, did you notice that God didn't tell him to take any marine animals with him? Why? They're in the water. They're going to survive. Do you understand what I'm saying? They're going to survive. All right? They can handle it. They can handle it. So, all right, so then notice now, the waters of the deep burst forth, and it rained on the earth for 40 days and 40 nights. Okay, so I want you to understand, remember, we saw earlier in creation that 
They didn't have rain before this because water came up from the ground and misted everything. So there was obviously water beneath the ground and water above the ground. So when the floods came, it was the bursting forth of the waters from below and the rain that came from the heavens. Now, we know that the bursting forth of the waters that came below, we, there is evidence of that. How do you know? Remember I told you, even evolutionists say that at one time the whole landmass was all one. They call it Pangaea. And then through either the shifting of the tectonic plates or whatever, everything spread out. So do you remember in school taking the continents of the world and trying to put them together? You know, you could put South America up into Africa and so forth. All right? So this is what's going on. There's some sort of seismic activity, water's bursting forth, and stuff is shifting, stuff is moving. This is a major catastrophe happening. So the flood covered the mountains with water. The flood covered the mountains with water. Folks, that's a lot of water, isn't it? Okay? That's a lot of water. The flood covered the mountains with water. This is now I think this is an interesting point that's being made here because some people will say, well, it must have been a this is just a localized flood account. This is just something that happened in their time and it was local. No, no. If the mountains are covered, what? You've got a lot of water. Okay? A lot of water. All living things that lived on dry land died, and only those in the ark survived. Now, all living things died, and only those in the ark survived. Now, let me just stop for a moment. There was a movie a few years ago uh, with Russell Crowe in it about Noah. I never saw the movie, have no desire to see the movie. It's based more on fable, Jewish fables, than it is on actual biblical account. And in that movie, there's a guy who gets onto the boat with them, some evil guy, okay? That's not happening. The text doesn't say that, okay? Everybody died except Noah and his family and the animals that were with him, okay? Everybody died. So all living things that lived on dry land died, only those who were in the ark survived. Now here's how long the flood lasted. 150 days. Now, if you think about that, Noah had to have really prepared the ark for he and the animals to be on there at least 150 days. So you're talking, they're all vegetarians at this point. All the animals are vegetarians. You're talking, they had to have some serious stuff stored away, didn't they, to feed the animals, okay? And it lasted 150 days. Now, the waters recede is the next section. We see that in chapter 8, verses 1 through 22. It says, God remembered Noah and caused the waters to recede and the rains to stop. So God, after that period of time, remembered them and caused the rains to stop and the waters to recede. Now, Noah sent out a raven, then a dove, to see if the waters had receded. So he sends out two birds to see if there's dry land. 
okay, to see if there's dry land. The raven did not return, but the dove returned with an olive leaf in its mouth. Now, first of all, why do you think the raven didn't return? Anybody know what a raven is? Yeah, it's a, it's, it's a crow. What do crows eat? Yeah, probably a lot of stuff floating around still. You know what I'm saying? Plenty of stuff for the crow to eat, okay? Or the raven to eat. But he sent out a dove, and the dove returned with an olive leaf in its mouth. Okay? Now, this is where, you know, have you ever noticed when they talk about peace, they always show a dove with an olive branch in its mouth? You ever see that in second? This is where that story comes from. This is where that image comes from about peace. Okay? But in the story, he sends out a dove, and it returns with an olive branch in its mouth. Now, after being in the ark for a year, think of, hold on a sec, we're not talking 150 days now, they're in the ark a year. God commanded Noah and all who were in the ark to come out. So after a, a year in the, in this, and, and they're probably going by a lunar calendar, 360 days, they came out of the ark. Now Noah made a burnt sacrifice of the clean animals and birds before the Lord. So he makes it, as soon as he gets out, what does he do? Makes a sacrifice to the Lord. Okay? Of the clean animals and the birds. Now, God said to himself that he would not destroy again every living thing as he had done. So God made a promise that he would not destroy the world again with a flood. That's what he's talking about here, because he is going to destroy the world later on. Okay? It's just that in this instance, he's not going to destroy the world with a flood again. Okay? So I don't care how much the Arctic ices are melting, they're not going to flood the whole world, okay? Because that's not going to happen again. So now we're going to look at the Noetic Covenant. Now this is very important because you and I are governed by the Noetic Covenant, okay? This is the covenant that God established with humanity through Noah's family, and we're all part of that. Do you realize that? We're all related to each other, not just through Adam. We all have a common grandfather, Noah, okay? We're all related to each other. So God commanded Noah and his family to be fruitful and multiply on the earth. That command is still there. It's be fruitful. Multiply, okay? Be fruitful. Multiply. Animals would now... Be fearful of man, and all animals can be food. So after the flood, before the flood, animals weren't fearful of man, because man didn't eat them. Now, after the flood, animals are fearful of man, and guess what, guys? You can now have a T-bone steak. Okay? You can now hunt that deer, or that elk. Did you understand? So... All food, all animals can be food. So you know what, when I hear these guys saying we all need to go back to the Old Testament and eat, become vegetarians. No, no. God said I can eat meat. Okay? God said I can eat meat. Now, however, man cannot eat meat with blood in it. You can't eat meat with blood. 
And if you notice, that's what most, most cultures do now when they kill an animal. What do they do? They hang it to what? Drain the blood. Okay? God commanded that anyone who murders will be killed as a punishment. So God institutes capital punishment here. Anyone who murders will be killed as a punishment. Now, some people say today, well, capital punishment is a deterrent. That's not the point here. God doesn't make that point. He simply says, if you kill somebody, your life is required. He doesn't say so that it deters other people. He just simply says, this is the consequence of you killing somebody else. You die. Okay? Now, God establishes his covenant not to flood the earth again and set, and set the rainbow as a seal. So every time you see a rainbow, usually it's right after, when do you normally see a rainbow? Right after the rain, right? And it's a seal to say to us, God's not going to flood the earth again. Okay? A seal saying that God's not going to flood the earth again. Now, in our remaining 15 minutes, we're going to talk about an incident that happens in chapter 9, verses 18 through 29, and it's called the sin of Ham. Now, we need to talk about this because from this passage, there's been some devastating teaching through the years that's just been wrong, okay, concerning African Americans, okay? And, and so we need to talk about that so that you understand. Because even, you know, like this was definitely prevalent teaching 40 years ago. You would think by now we would have gotten it over it, but every once in a while I still hear people who will mention this sin of Ham. And it's, and it's purely out of ignorance. Okay? Because they don't, even the people who teach it are showing their ignorance because they don't really understand what the text is saying. So let me explain it to you. Okay? So we're going to look at it together. So I want you to notice with me chapter 9, and we're verse 18 through 29. So let me read these passages to you. Now the sons of Noah who went out of the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and Ham was the father of Canaan. These three were the sons of Noah, and from these the whole earth was populated. And Noah began to be a farmer, and he planted a vineyard. Then he drank of the wine and was drunk and became uncovered in his tent. Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. But Shem Japheth took a garment, laid it on both of their shoulders, and went backward and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned away, and they did not see their father's nakedness. So Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his younger son had done to him. Then he said, Cursed be Canaan. Servant of servants, he shall be to his brethren. And he said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and may Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Japheth, and may he dwell in the tents of Shem, and may Canaan be his servant. And Noah lived after the flood 350 years, and all the days of Noah were 950 years, and he died. All right, so let's take a look here in the final 15 minutes of what's going on here. First of all, Ham's sin. It says that Noah became a farmer, 
and became drunk from the wine of his vineyard. All right? So obviously Noah became a farmer, and as a farmer he probably planted a vineyard as well as other crops. From the vineyard he had grapes. From the grapes he made wine. Fermentation takes place, and Noah one night becomes drunk. Okay? Now, when he became drunk, when you're drunk, you're not in control of yourself, are you? So he becomes drunk and he lays in his tent naked. Okay? Now Ham, his son, saw his father lying naked in his tent and told his brothers. Okay? So he maybe stumbled on his dad. Hey, dad! Walk opens the tent. There's his dad laying naked there. Obviously, that would be a shock, but here's what he does. He goes and tells his brother, hey, you won't believe what I just saw. I just saw dad. You know what I'm saying? Okay. So the brothers discreetly covered their father without seeing his nakedness. So the brothers obviously sensed that what was going on was wrong. They decided to cover him. Now, what is the sin of Ham? Okay, so I gave you an explanation there. There's been some really fanciful theories throughout the years as far as what the sin of Ham is. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to address those because some of those are just flat out wrong. But let me just tell you what exactly is going on here. To the ancients, okay, to those in Mo, Moses' day and older, okay, to the ancients, seeing one's father naked was the breach of family ethic. It was just flat out wrong to see your parents naked. Period. Okay? The sanctity of the family was destroyed and the strength of the father was made a mockery. Ham apparently stumbled on this accidentally, but what happened was is he went out and told his brothers as if he triumphed over his father saying, hey, I saw my dad's nakedness. Okay? So he, he basically destroyed the sanctity of the home. So what actually turned out to be a trivial incident turned out to be a major offense in that the father was shamed. So this is really an honor and shame thing. Now we have a hard time wrapping our brain around that because we live in a culture where we look look in terms of sin and guilt. There the ancient cultures dealt more with honor and shame. Losing face. Okay? Losing face. And because of that, when Noah found out what had happened, and he would find out, okay, he would find out from his sons what had happened, he pronounces a curse and a blessing, okay? So let me explain to you, when we talk about a curse and a blessing here, I'm not talking like a curse that a witch would bestow, okay, or some medium would bestow. What we're talking about here are prophetic statements, it's a curse in that it's a sense, it's a prophetic statement of something that's going to go wrong. And there's also a blessing that's giving. Again, it's a prophetic statement of what's going to happen with the children. Okay? So let's take a look at it because it's the curse of Canaan. And I'll explain that to you in a moment. So when Noah woke up and found out what happened, he pronounced a curse and a blessing. I already told you that. Now, who would you assume that he would curse? Who sinned? Ham. Ham. So if I'm going to curse somebody for what happened, 
it would only make sense to curse who? Ham. But who does he curse? Look at the text. Well, who specifically does he curse? Canaan. Okay, he doesn't curse Ham. He curses his son. Ham's son, his grandson, Canaan. That doesn't make sense, does it? Because Canaan, did he have anything to do with this? No. Why, why would he do that? Because it's a prophetic statement. It's a prophetic statement. Look at what it says about Canaan. It says, Canaan will be a servant of servants, and he shall be to his brothers. It means that Canaan is going to become a slave. Okay? Canaan is going to become a slave. So, Noah cursed Canaan by stating that he would be a servant to his brothers. Now, here's where we get into the... Here's where we get into the bad teaching. During the days of segregation and slavery, Christian, white Christians sought to justify slavery by pointing to the scripture and finding a proof that it was okay to hold people into, especially African Americans, into slavery. And so what they did was, is they, out of context, went to this passage and said, that blacks were the descendants of Canaan, therefore they were to be servants and slaves for the rest of their lives. Sounds good, and it has been taught, okay? But the problem is it's not correct. Why? Because Africans are the descendants of Cush, not Canaan. And next week I'm going to give you a map your notes will have a map of where all the descendants of Noah went. And the descendants of Canaan, guess where they settled? Anybody know where they settled? They would become a people known as the Canaanites. Anybody know where they're settled at? Canaan, or Palestine, or where Israel is. And when Israel would come in and defeat the Canaanites and destroy the Amorites and wipe them out, they also made some of the Canaanites their what? Slaves. Do you understand? So this has significance to the readers who were Jews. Okay? This has nothing to do with black people, with African Americans, or slavery. This is called taking a scripture and twisting it to justify bad behavior, okay? To justify bad behavior. So Noah cursed Canaan by stating that he would become a servant to his brothers. Now, he blessed Shem by making Canaan his servant and Japheth as he who would dwell with Shem. Okay? Now, the descendants of Shem would be the Mesopotamians, and from the Mesopotamians would come a guy by the name of Abram. Who's Abram? Abraham, the father of the Jews, right? Okay, so let's go on. So now it says that Noah lived 350 years after the flood and died at the age of 950. Wow, that's pretty old, isn't it? So if you think about that, he was already 600 years old when the flood happened. Wow! That's amazing, isn't it? Okay, now, 
Next week, we're going to talk about the nations that emerge. And so that's when I'm going to give you a map. And some of those things are going to be pretty significant as we talk about those next week.